Greater love has no one than this, that he lay down his life for his friends. Good morning. It's a privilege to be here with you this morning on this Memorial Day weekend to honor those who have done just that. They've laid down their lives for you, for me, for God, and for country. Memorial Day was observed as Decoration Day three years after the Civil War by placing flowers on the graves of Civil War soldiers killed in action. In 1971, Congress declared Memorial Day a national holiday for the purpose of honoring the sacrifice of those killed in this country's wars in order to purchase or defend the freedom that we enjoy today. I'd like to start this morning by recognizing those in our congregation who have served or are currently serving in the military. If you have served or, have, or are currently serving in any of the branches of the military, Coast Guard, Air Force, Navy, Marine Corps, Army, would you please stand and remain standing? Less than 1% of the American population ever serves in the armed forces. And we thank each one of you for the service that you've provided. Please be seated. But Memorial Day is not about us. It's not about those of us that have served or are currently serving. Memorial Day is about those that never came home. The purpose of Memorial Day is to honor those who have sacrificed their life for you and for me. And how do we honor? How do we honor a sacrifice so great? How do we honor a sacrifice of their lives? Willingly sacrificing. Surely, honoring that kind of sacrifice requires more than a three-day weekend. Surely, honoring their sacrifice requires more than having a hamburger hot dog cookout. Surely, honoring their sacrifice requires more than a moment of silence. I believe that Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3 Paint a picture of how to honor one who willingly chooses to sacrifice his or her life for others. Please follow along in your Bible or on the screen as I read from Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles, and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Hebrews chapter 12, verses 1 through 3, give us 
three steps that we can honor the sacrifice of those who have gone before us. And the very first step is to remember, remember that you are free. And that that freedom is at a very high price. Corporal Ty Johnson was driving his Humvee down the road of Kirkuk, Iraq, on April 4th, 2006, when an improvised explosive device blew up as he drove by. Approximately one year before that, I was visiting Corporal Ty Johnson and his wife in the hospital as they gave birth to their second child. This day, though, I was holding his hand as he passed away. And then I walked from Corporal Ty Johnson and I walked through his blood to the person next to him that was in the same vehicle that lost both legs. And I walked from him after I prayed with him through his blood to the next person next to him was in the same vehicle who lost one leg. Both of those soldiers that lost limbs, their first concern, their first question was about their friend, Corporal Ty Johnson. Their second concern was when they could get back to their unit to serve with their friends. The heart of an American soldier is an incredible thing. It's an incredible thing. But that day, Corporal Ty Johnson gave his life for his friends. PSC Ross McGinnis was a turret gunner in his Humvee. While on patrol outside of Baghdad, Iraq, December 4, 2006, an enemy fighter threw a grenade into the turret of that Humvee. The grenade fell down through the turret into the Inside the vehicle of the Humvee where four other soldiers were sitting. PFC McGinnis could have very easily jumped out of the vehicle to safety. But he knew that his friends inside the vehicle didn't have a chance. So instead of jumping to safety, he jumped inside the vehicle on top of the grenade and absorbed a blast of the grenade and saved the lives of his four friends. We are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. The U.S. transport ship Dorchester was sailing across the Atlantic Ocean in 1943, taking 900 U.S. soldiers to the European area of operations during World War II. Aboard the Dorchester were four chaplains, Chaplain Fox, Chaplain Good, Chaplain Poling, Chaplain Washington. On February 3rd, 1943, at approximately 1 a.m., a German submarine torpedoed the Dorchester, and it was sinking quickly. The four chaplains were on board, helping the soldiers get off of the Dorchester as quickly as possible. They were handing out life jackets. When the life jackets ran out, the four chaplains took their life jackets off and gave them to other soldiers. 
eyewitness testimony from survivors from the Dorchester testified to Chaplain Fox, Chaplain Good, Chaplain Poling, Chaplain Washington, standing aboard the Dorchester, holding hands, praying, and singing hymns as it sank. We are truly surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. And every person that you saw stand can give you testimony of other soldiers, sailors, airmen, marines that have done similar things. But the author of Hebrews 12 wasn't just talking about this. He wasn't just talking about the one million soldiers that have given their lives to this point. He's referring back with the word therefore to chapter 11, the faith chapter, where he talks of Noah being enabled by his faith to build an ark even though society mocked him. He talks about Abel, who was enabled by his faith to offer sacrifices that were pleasing to God even though it angered Cain and cost Abel his life. He talks about Abraham, who was enabled by his faith to leave a homeland, his home and to go where he didn't know where he was going, but to be faithful, obedient to his God. It was faith that enabled Enoch to walk faithfully for 300 years, and that faith enabled Moses to walk obediently with God through every trial and circumstance that he faced as he led a stiff-necked people out of slavery. It was faith that enabled Rahab the prostitute to obediently respond to God and save the Hebrew scouts in Jericho. You see, these were ordinary people that because of their faith in God were used in extraordinary ways. We are truly surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses. Our physical freedom comes at an extremely high price today. As I said earlier, it's, so far it's cost more than a million lives for our physical freedom. And that physical freedom is still being paid today. Because we have soldiers, airmen, marines, sailors all around the world that are ready to sacrifice their lives today to continue to pay for and preserve our freedom that we enjoy. It's a debt that isn't fully paid yet. But there's a spiritual debt that needs, that needed to be paid. See, Hebrews 12 also refers back to Hebrews chapter 9, if we really want to get the picture. And it, it starts in chapter 9 talking about the sacrifices that are made in the temple where every year the high priest would go inside the temple and offer a sacrifice to pay for the sins of the people and it was done year after year after year. And it was a foreshadowing of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, our Lamb of God. And beginning in verse 22 of chapter 9, it says, In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. It was necessary then for the copies of the heavenly things to be, fur be purified with these sacrifices, 
but the heavenly things themselves with better sacrifices than these. For Christ did not enter a man-made sanctuary that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself, now to appear for us in God's presence. Nor did he enter heaven to offer himself again and again, the way the high priest enters the most holy place every year with blood that is not his own. Then Christ would have had to suffer many times since the creation of the world. But now he has appeared once for all at the end of the ages to do away with sin by the sacrifice of himself. Just as man is destined to die once and after that to face judgment, so Christ was sacrificed once to take away the sins of many people. And he will appear a second time, not to bear sin, but to bring salvation to those who are waiting for him. Ladies and gentlemen, we enjoy physical freedom because of the sacrifice of blood paid by more than a million people. And that debt is still being paid today. But praise be to God that you and I are spiritually free from the bondage of sin because of the sacrifice of the one. And the debt of sin is paid in full. We are free. And if we are going to honor that sacrifice of freedom, beginning with remembering that we are free, we then are required to live like we are free. It's not enough just to remember that we're free. We need to live like we are free. During the 1700s, when the 13 colonies were established and being settled, the colonists were forced to pay import and export taxes to the king of England. But the colonists did not have representation or anyone to speak on their behalf in parliament or the English government. That was one of the primary reasons for the war. Taxation without representation. The colonists at least wanted an advocate to speak on their behalf to the government when decisions were being made regarding them. They wanted someone speaking on their behalf. Well, the war was fought. How do we know today that that war was won other than what's written in the history books? There was a change of lives and a change of habits in the people. The way they lived was different. The way they acted was different. They now had a brand new government. They set up a government where they had representation that we enjoy today, a Senate and a House of Representatives. There was a change in the way things were done and the way the people lived. Now, what if they won that war and they continue to pay taxes to the king? What if? Wouldn't that be ridiculous to fight a war? To win and have victory and yet have no change in our lives? Ladies and gentlemen, can I tell you today that there is no more condemnation of sin in heaven for those who accept Christ Jesus as personal Lord and Savior. There is no longer condemnation without representation because we have an advocate at the right hand of the throne of God. 
but it requires that there be a change in our lives and how we live and how we address sin in our lives. If we have victory, let's live like we are victorious instead of continuing to pay taxes to the king. How do we live that victorious life in such a way that we honor the sacrifice of the one who won the victory for us? And it says, first of all, to throw off everything that hinders. Throw off everything that hinders. Well, what hinders? What's a hindrance? A person that has a 50-pound rucksack on their back and is trying to run a mile can run much faster during that mile if they remove the rucksack. That rucksack of 50 pounds is a hindrance. It's a burden. It weighs us down. It slows us down. It creates pain that we don't necessarily need. What are the hindrances in our lives that keep us from doing what God wants us to do? What if God were to say to you, I want you to move to Idaho? Now, if you're sensing that God's telling you through me to move to Idaho, I didn't pray through that one. So that, that's on you. Um, but if, what if God were to tell you to move someplace, but he doesn't tell you any more than that? He doesn't tell you what you're going to do when you live there. He doesn't tell you where you're going to live. He doesn't tell you how you're going to make money. He doesn't even tell you exactly what he's going to do. He just says, I'm going to do great and mighty things in you and through you. So go move to Idaho or wherever it is. With that question in your mind, what are the next questions that come after that? Whatever those questions are, those are your hindrances. A lot of times it's our comforts. It's those creature comforts that we love. We like our home. I like And I love my reclining chairs that we just bought. The next time I have to deploy, which there'll be another time, that's going to be a hindrance for me because I want my reclining rocking chairs. I'm not going to have them. What is it that God wants us to do? What comforts does he want us to give up? And if we're not willing to give up everything for the sake of Christ who loved us and gave himself for us, then those things are a hindrance to us that we need to throw off. We need to be real about the sin that's in our lives and stop calling them something else. Because he tells us that those sins that are in our lives will entangle us and trip us up. In baseball, there are two base running coaches. One at first base, the other at third base. When the, but, when the batter is running to first base, his eyes are fixed on the first base coach. And that first base coach has a greater picture of what's going on on the field. And he gives directions to the runner on whether to stay or go around to second. As soon as that runner rounds second, he fixes his eyes on the third base coach. And that third base coach then owns him and gives him the direction on how he should run those bases, how he should live those next 20 seconds of his life. At that point, that coach is in control and the runner is running the coach's race. The author of Hebrews tells us to fix our eyes on Jesus, 
the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. We fix our eyes on him, and he gives us the credentials. He doesn't just want to convince us. He tells us, why should we fix our eyes on Jesus? Because he is the author of our salvation. He is the one who paved the way for us to get from here back into a personal relationship with God the Father so we could maintain relationship with him and have unhindered access. He's the only one who could pave that way and he went before us. He is the author. He paved that path. And he is the perfecter of our faith because he is the only one who has had complete, dependent obedience on God the Father. Through his life here on earth, he showed us what it looked like to have complete, dependent obedience on God. He is the perfecter. He's the one that we look to for the example of how to be dependent. And if we are going to live the life that God wants us to live, and if we're going to honor the sacrifice of Christ, then we ought to be dependent and obedient to what he calls us to do. And he says it was for the joy that was set before him. A lot of people search for joy. A lot of people search for happiness. Joy and happiness isn't something to be attained in and of itself. And it wasn't because Jesus found joy on the cross that he was crucified. It wasn't for, he didn't experience joy When he was nailed to the cross for you and me. He didn't experience joy when he was being spit on. He didn't experience joy when he was being beaten. He didn't experience joy when he was humiliated on the cross. And he experienced shame. That wasn't a joyful time. The joy came at the end of persevering and enduring. To its fullest extent. The joy was at the finish line. The joy came after enduring in complete obedience to the Father. And then the author tells us to consider these things. First, we remember that we're free, we live like we're free, and then we never quit. Never quit. The author tells us to consider him who endured such opposition from sinful men so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. Consider him. Years ago, I ran the Berlin Marathon, and it's a marathon in a large city. And the sides of the roads throughout this entire 26-mile course are lined with people and bands. And, and we put our, write our name on our bib that we're wearing. And as we're running through these streets, surrounded by all these people that we have no clue who they are, they were my great cloud of witnesses at that time, they shout your name because it's written on your bib. But they were shouting things in German, so I still didn't understand anything they were saying. But every now and then I'd hear, super, Ned, super. So I was like, yeah, they got my name, and it's super. So I kept on going. I got to the last mile. And I got up my cell phone and I called Margaret. I 
I said, I've got a mile to go. I have no idea how long it's going to take me. But I want a brat. I want a pretzel. I want some french fries. I want anything else you can get a hold of. And then when I ran through the Brandenburg Gate in Berlin, crossing that finish line and receiving the medallion, that's where the joy hit. The race was finished, and I received the prize. As we go through life, and we remember the sacrifice paid for us, and we live like we are free, persevering and enduring all along the way, the joy comes at the end of the race when we're at home before the Lamb of God. And he says, well done, good and faithful servant. That will be joy. That will be joy. The word passion comes from the Latin word pati, which means to suffer and endure for that which you love. Corporal Ty Johnson, PFC McGinnis, and the soldiers represented by every tombstone in every national cemetery around the world suffered, endured, and sacrificed their lives for their country and the soldiers that they served with. Chaplains Fox, Good, Washington, and Poling sacrificed their love, lives aboard the Dorchester because of their love for God, country, and the soldiers God called them to serve. Jesus Christ willingly sacrificed himself for you and me, was crucified, conquering sin and death, so that he could offer us the free gift of forgiveness of sin. We are his passion for which he endured. The people outside these walls are his passion for which he endured. We honor his sacrifice and the sacrifice of our soldiers by remembering that we are free, we live like we are free, and we never quit. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for each and every soldier that has died on our behalf. We pray for their families and pray that you would meet them in the midst of their grief. We thank you, Father, for the love that you have for us. We thank you for the sacrifice of Jesus Christ, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Father, we don't deserve such a love. We don't deserve such a sacrifice, but we praise you that you first loved us before we ever loved you. So, Father, I pray that you would take our lives and that our lives would be a fragrant offering to you, that you would use us to reach other people that don't yet know you, that you would mold us and shape us into the people that you want us to be. Father, have your way in our lives and through our lives. In the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen.